Hello, welcome to the Roll Together podcast. Thank you for joining us for these podcast versions of our streamed shows from Twitch. You can always find our schedule of upcoming shows at twitch.tv forward slash roll together forward slash schedule. Please do leave a review and we look forward to adventuring together. Adventure! <laughs> Hello there, everyone, and welcome to Tour Together. This is one of our weekly shows where we get the chance to speak to some players and other TTRPG streamers within the community, get to ask them some fun little questions, find out a bit more about them, find out where they come from, what they do, and all of that sort of stuff. I'm Josh, as some of you may or may not know, and I shall be your host for this evening. As you can see, though, I am not alone. I have the great pleasure to be joined by one of our fantastic stream team members, who I will let introduce themselves. Hello. Hello. Hello there. Uh, my name is Owen. I am the Dungeon Master of the Lost Archives uh, Twitch stream and YouTube channel and podcast channel. And uh, I'm a fairly new member of the Roll Together community, but it is an awesome, awesome collection of just truly incredible wonderful creative people and it's uh, it's a real pleasure to be here thank right. you for having me before we continue we have some amazing sponsors that we have to thank uh dot the eyes across the t's as it were uh, we our, our sponsors sorry are hero forge ultra pro phoenix dice and alchemy rpg and we also have some fantastic supporters in idle champions neverwinter elderwood academy and dnd beyond we also have a great mm. audience known as D20 Club. If you'd like to become one of these lovely people, go to our Patreon, which will appear in the chat, and sign up for as little as one of your local currency. And if you can't join us live, you can always listen to us on your favourite podcast providing app or YouTube just by searching for Together RPG and you can find us on most social medias. There's a lot of them now flowing around. We're trying to get to as many of them as we can. Uh, but you know, they keep yeah, they keep multiplying. It's hard begins to keep fall and then two more take its place. But anyway, you can find us or try to find us at Roll Together RPG. Now, this is Talk Together, so it's a little bit different to Talking as a Free Action, which is our other show that we do on Fridays. But what we're going to do today, so everybody's aware, is we're going to ask some questions, and the way that we're going to determine these questions is by the roll of a D twenty. Now. I'm very naughty today, and I don't actually have any physical D20s to hand because I've recently had an in-person game. So I'm going to be using the virtual D20. Don't moan at me. I apologise. This is this is not yeah. what I was promised, and um, you will be hearing from my uh, legal team, which is also just me. From you, <laughs> okay? Yes, but. Look, it's, I, it's it's also very hypocritical of me to say that because we now always use virtual dice sure. for our games. So it's, I've come in strong, but I've now had to backpedal quite a bit back off that statement and be like, yeah, that's fine. Yes. That sounds good. So I'm going to be using a virtual tweet. Not good for my first outing in talk together, but it is what it is. But when we do roll that D20, we normally say the words, roll that dice. You don't have to say it if you don't want to, but, you know, it's I'm a little bit of pizzazz to the roll. Awesome. No, let's do but, it. I'm in. Let's go. But, and if this stream will last for about 60 minutes, give or take, depending on if we decide to go on a tangent. I say we roll questions. Sometimes there will be questions that I will just outright ask you because I want to know things about things like this first question that I'm going to ask you, and which is going to be, what streams do you do and on what days do you do them? That's a good question. Um, we do three streams at the moment uh, on a Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, all at 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. 
Uh, on Monday nights, we've run a Curse of Strahd campaign, the uh, fifth edition horror campaign published by Wizards of the Coast. It's a lot of fun. We've made a few changes to sort of fit it into a homebrew world. Most of my D&D games take place in a, in a homebrew world that I've created, which um, has now started to grow so big, I need a wiki to keep track of it. Um, luckily, someone created us a wiki not that long ago, so I've just been adding to that whenever I think of it. It's just been very, very handy. Uh, on Tuesday nights, we play uh, Avatar Legends, which is the Avatar The Last Airbender TTRPG published by Magpie Games. It's really, really fun. It's based on um, Powered by the Apocalypse, if you've played any systems by Powered by the Apocalypse. So very roleplay heavy. Not as much rolling as you do in D&D. A lot of things like actions can kind of trigger other actions rather than necessarily rolling for them. And the weirdest thing for me, right, is the Dungeon Master never rolls dice which is such an unusual thing that I'm still getting used to 50 episodes in apparently. Um, and then our final Wednesday night session is a fully homebrew campaign called Return of the Giants, which is a um, fifth edition uh, campaign that's completely original for the Lost Archives that we've been working on and uh, writing since we uh, finished up our Tyranny of Dragons campaign about six months ago. So it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun, and it's actually a direct sequel to the Tyranny of Dragons campaign. So all the previous player characters um, are in that world as NPCs now, and the player characters have taken on new characters who were working for the uh, the previous PCs, which is really fun. I, I take it that you're going to be an instant purchaser or somewhat of the new is it Big B's Hand of Giants or something? Glory, yeah. glory of the giants. The, the the chances are just insane so we we got to our like fourth episode and i decided it was a fully giant themed campaign it's all about giants that have vanished from the world suddenly coming back again and then dnc <laughs> beyond are like yeah so we've got a new module coming out it's going to be called glory of the giants i'm just sitting there like wow that was uh that was quite fortuitous so yes actually we've we're definitely going to be using that and i've given the players a um a mechanic in the game that when that comes out, if they wanted to change their classes or change their subclasses or things like that, there's ways that they're going to be able to do that within the mechanics of the game in a, in a role-play way to uh, try out the new stuff. Seeing the changes that they've made to the giant arc you find in the monster manuals and all the other and the compendium at the moment, but also the new stuff. Yes. Especially if you go off of uh, Fisbee's Treasury of Dragons, where you've got like the Mind Flayer Dragon and Crystal Dragons and all of that. It's like, it's what sort of giants stuff. are they going to put into this? Yeah, I, I, there's so many things that they can do with it because you can really pull from um, a lot of the different mythos in our world to help like build these these monsters. So one of the things that's heavily inspired Return of the Giants is Norse mythology, which I'm a huge fan of. So um, I've sort of been building it based on Norse and Celtic and um, Welsh mythology, which all kind of intermingle from that Viking occupation of England way back in, I think it was like the 6th, 15th or 16th century. Don't quote me on that. Um, so it's been uh, it's been really, really fun. So I've, I've been having a lot of fun making like subtypes of giants. I reckon I'm going to be throwing them all out though when Glory of the Giants comes and they've just done all of that work for me, which would be really cool. So I wasn't going to ask, I wasn't going to say something else, but I want to ask this one quickly because we're on the Wednesday stream at the minute. The giant yeah. part of the campaign, have you taken any influences from storm king's thunder at all or is it all just completely homebrew yeah so actually you know it was it was actually originally going to be a storm king's thunder campaign and then um i you may remember back about six months ago wizards of the coast and hasbro made some interesting choices regarding the, uh, <laughs> the ogl don't remember this so uh we um we kind of in protest at that point we're like okay we might not do any more published adventures we're going to move over to homebrew which was something i had been planning to do anyway i think i just needed that push and that was a perfect um perfect excuse to go and do fully homebrew so i, I moved away from storm king's thunder there's definitely some influences because in tyranny of dragons i'd been hinting at this next campaign for a while and so like some of the character names i've had to change subtly so that for those who are coming from tyranny of dragons it's not like just a completely different name so like sarissa who's the giant princess in storm king's thunder i've changed to sin mare in our campaign so there's there's some echoes from when i was setting up the campaign in tyranny of dragons because uh I like to kind of foreshadow things where I can and uh, drop little hints about things to come. So, um, yeah, it, there's definitely some like hidden inspirations, but uh, as quickly as possible, I am moving away from Storm King's Thunder uh, rapidly. And and at this point, I think now, I think we're about sort of 10 or so episodes in, um, there's no 
um, plot similarities to Storm King's Thunder anymore. We've we've now gotten far enough away from that. I just needed to bridge the gap from Tyranny of Dragons. I should also like to note to anybody who would like to see a non D&D streamed game that the Avatar Legends game on the Tuesday is complete chaotic fun. Uh, one of the one of the standout moments for me when I was watching was one of the ones I watched was when you went into one for anybody who doesn't know the series there's a bit where they go to the Earth Kingdom and they go to a village that was they thought was uh, worshipping one of the previous avatars turns out they weren't they were burning it and the players were discussing burning the village down and it was like well that's not in canon it's like yeah but they have a couple of hundred years to rebuild it before the events of the actual TV show and that was just I just love that it was like hey, it was fun Oh, it's it's so fun the Avatar game because I'm I'm a big fan of Avatar: The Last Airbender, and it's so our campaign's set during the period of time after Roku's death, before Aang knows he's the Avatar and before he's been frozen in the ice. So we've got about I think it's like twelve years of time to play with because this is set two weeks after Roku's death or three weeks after Roku's death, and so we know that we've got yeah a hundred years to get things back in canon again as much as possible so there's been a few things that have happened where we've probably stretched the limits of narrative uh creativity but we're able to be like well yeah so that that village is a perfect example chin village which is one of my favorite episodes of avatar the last airbender avatar day where they're um protesting the avatar yeah i mean they did actually end up burning down part of the village deliberately which is a horrifically evil act which uh we still haven't really had much discussion about uh in the, in the world but yeah i mean part of the village in chin village in the actual present day when the show takes place you can actually see has been replaced with stone around the outer sections where some of the inner sections are still wood and so it actually weirdly enough kind of makes sense that maybe at some point there was a fire and they had to replace the buildings with stone so it actually ends up being um Probably, probably what happened. Who's to say what happened? <laughs> We've touched on those two campaigns. Last question will be to do with the Curse of Strong campaign. What changes have you made to people might not have seen in another Curse of Strong campaign? Because obviously there's a lot of them around. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, the original Curse of Strad module, the, the thing I really love about it is Strad's confidence and arrogance this idea that he's never been defeated and in the module it's kind of hinted that he's been doing this for some period of time i'm pushing that even further in the future he's been doing this for millennia and even the act of corrupting heroes and breaking them is starting to lose any meaning to him so this is now a strad who has the torture of his situation has started to set in and he's realizing the futility of his actions. Everything he does, no matter what he does, will always result in the same outcomes. And so the Strad in this campaign is a little bit more hands-off in the beginning and it's given a chance for some of those NPCs, some of the other characters in his castle like Rahadun, some of the other vampires, to kind of rise up and take a bit more of the center stage rather than being just background characters who the players might interact with once or twice. Um, and a lot of these characters have motivations. Some of the vampires want to take Strad's place as ruler of Barovia. Rahadun wants his master to once again be his normal self and return him to his previous self. Um, and I've also done a little bit with Strad's brother, Sergei, because in the original module, if anyone's familiar with it, Strad kills his brother, Sergei, and that's what turns him into a vampire. I always found Sergei a suspicious character, someone who like comes in, is all perfect and good and has nothing wrong with them. I don't believe anyone is perfect and good. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of uh, of people having flaws that are, are strengths at some point and then become flaws later on. So I've, without spoiling too much, I've given Sergei a bit more of a role than just, oh, Sergei died way back and that's how Strava became a vampire. So Sergei's still doing some things even today and I've had a bit of fun with that. Yeah. So just kind of adjusting the dynamics and, and giving a chance for other characters in the story to have a bit more to do than just be there for the players to interact and then slay with holy water yeah, and a stake like through the heart. Your, instead of having them as a episode of the week villain like you would have done in the old in the noughties sort of TV shows like Buffy and all of that, like they're yeah. they're more fleshed out and more sort of can take on their own arc of a story sort of thing, which sounds pretty cool. 
I'm a big fan of Supernatural and I kind of liked the way that some of those like incredibly important figures in the in the mythos like Crowley or, or Lucifer are there again and again and again and their relationship changes with the characters over time with with Dean and Sam and so I've kind of tried to capture some of that magic a little bit and use that as an inspiration this idea that these incredibly old immortal beings interacting with mortals and how they might uh, change how that changes the dynamic and, and also how it changes their motivations as well so it's been it's been really fun actually um I've, I've always loved curse of strata as a module i've never been able to run it before so it's been great to run it i played a few sessions with a, another dm before um they then had to step back uh and then that's what actually meant that i took over this campaign and started again on right. the stream so with that all out of the way i think we're going to roll our first d20 roll some dice roll some dice roll that roll dice some that's dice. An so, ooh, okay, right. Who is your favourite character? Now, I'm not gonna. I don't. I don't think we should like mm. sort of narrow that down to like your players because that's like choose favourites, unless you want to. Mm. But character you've played on or off stream, uh, or an NPC that you've played. Oh, it's a really good question. Um, there's a few that I really have loved. Um, probably my favorite. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be really cheeky. I'm gonna answer this Go with two it. answers. <laughs> my favorite character that I've played, and the favorite character that I've ever seen. The favorite character I've ever played um, was one that was actually created by a player. So in our Tyranny of Dragons campaign, um, Jared was playing as a bard warlock, and he he wanted a warlock patron that was a little bit different to what's currently sort of available in the in the module and i said oh great I'm, I'm more than happy to do that i i love homebrew so we we worked on a character for his patron in the background and then when this uh warlock patron first appeared through the interactions the group had with this this character it kind of created him in the moment he became this very different to what we'd originally kind of envisioned but it fit him perfectly so i'm talking of course of um uh Oh my goodness, I've just blanked on his name. How awkward is that? Uh, of Varus Nightshade, um, who is a an eldritch being, not really a god, not really a, a demon or a devil, but someone who kind of exists outside the, the world and manipulates things very carefully. A little bit inspired by the dragon prince, um, star-touched elf, um, uh, who's the villain in, in Dragon Prince on Netflix, if you, if you haven't watched Dragon Prince, also by the people who made up the time. As a rogue, as a rogue, that's the one. Aravos. Yeah, a little bit inspired by Aravos, this very charming, charismatic figure who clearly is up to something, but at the same time, when your goals align with his, then you kind of walk down the same pathway. And it's it's been wonderful because the players all decided they were not going to work with this person. And every time he offered them a deal, they always took it every time <laughs> because it, it, like he was just very convincing and he'd offer something that they wanted something they needed in the moment and it was it was such a fun character to play and um i am looking forward to bringing him back for return of the giants because he he ended up getting actually kind of what he wanted at the end of uh tyranny of dragons so his his stuff we agreed he would still be doing his things in the background and he'd, he'd come back again for the next campaign definitely my favorite character to play my favorite player character i think would have to be um Loki, which is Michael's warforged um, uh, artificer that he played in Tyranny of Dragons. And just my favorite so far. The reason being, Michael just throws himself into his characters in a way that is so entertaining, while at the same time works perfectly as part of the group roleplay. Like it's, it doesn't steal from anyone else. It just fits in beautifully. And he kind of, the way he throws himself into the character roleplay encourages everyone around him to do the same. And often he'll do things with his character that end up like hurting his goals or, or meaning that he doesn't achieve what he wanted, but other people do. And especially with Loki, he did that really well because Loki was incredibly awkward being a warforged who'd been around for hundreds of years, been powered on, powered off at different times. And so kind of a bit out of time and out of touch, Loki was incredibly awkward. And so would say and do things in social situations that would like he'd, he'd share things that was that were meant to be completely secret he'd ask questions that um would reveal the, the group's goals but then it would give other characters a chance to kind of step up and bring in and and kind of move things around in terms of the, the narrative structure it, it was really clever and i really love um the 
the way Michael does that with with Lockie. It's it's very entertaining, and it's empowering for the other characters. Sometimes, I think sometimes really charismatic and really engaging characters can sometimes draw attention to them. Something about the way Michael plays Lockie actually brings everyone in with him, and everyone gets pulled up at the same time. It's it's wonderful to watch, and I really enjoy it. It is always it is always nice when you've got that one player. And I think, I think everybody has it in every game. You have that one player that is the one that can help instigate roleplay between the others, whether it be through something silly or something more serious. There's a, there's a player in one of my IRL games that I played. His character is the most annoying character you'll ever meet. And he, he always puts his foot in it always lands himself in trouble doesn't matter what situation we're in he'll somehow find manage to find a way to land himself in trouble us in trouble but we always sort of gravitate around that and we're able to role playing thing off of it so yeah, i fully fully get what it's it's good yeah it's it's such a it's such a lovely such a lovely thing and and yeah i'm always appreciative to have those at the table i think we're lucky enough to have almost everyone at different times doing that which is so good to see um, and so so easy for me as a DM. <laughs> best feeling in the world where you can just, even on stream, where you can just give them something, they start role-playing, you just go. Yeah, my, my favourite bit is where you can see that they're immersed enough that the session goes by very quickly and it gets to the end. And as I'm sort of like trying to wrap up, they're pushing back in and trying to stop me wrapping up. That's uh, in, in character. That's very fun. <laughs> that's how I know I've, uh, I've got them. Right. So let's roll another question. So we say the words, Ooh. roll that dice. Roll that dice. Roll that dice. If you... Ooh. A success, that's got to be a success. It's a successful question. If you could make yourself in D&D, what would you be? I'll also add on to that. If you could choose another TTRPG system mm. to make yourself in, which one? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. It's funny. It's funny you ask this question because literally about a week ago, a group of friends and I were all saying, "What would your stats be if you were a D and D character, like you as a person?" And we were having a bit of fun. Like, what would be your primary stat? What would be your dump stat? Um, oh, look, I think I think everyone knows that I would probably be a bard. Uh, <laughs> There's no doubt about that. I think a, a storyteller bard, a, maybe like a, a bard of law, maybe a law bard would probably be my thing. I, I love obscure trivia. I love to learn things. I am constantly coming up with hypotheses and questions. I'm a scientist by training, so questions and answers are such an integral part of how I see the world. So probably a law bard would be appropriate. Uh, and I'm, I'm not too bad at the saxophone if, uh, if push comes to shove, so could always do a bit of instrument doot doot magic flute if I needed to. Um, I think I think probably Bard would be my my D and D character in terms of um, race. I oh, look to be on any of them really. I don't I don't think there's any one race in D and D. Maybe maybe half elf probably would be the most uh, most appropriate uh, for other TTRPGs. I've I've only I've not really played too many others. I've played a little bit of Pathfinder, um, a little bit of Call of Cthulhu. So probably the only other TTRPG I'm most um, familiar with would be Avatar, in which case I would love to be an airbender. That'd be so cool. Airbenders are the coolest by far. Like, I, as much as I love the water and I love like swimming and scuba diving, I think if I had to pick between being able to literally fly, I, yeah, no questions. <laughs> Mine would be waterbender, but you know, I like that. That's fair. What, what would be your D and D character if you if you oh, were? What would be your class? I mean, we just—I just asked you the question. I didn't even think. I see. I was prepared. Prepare one for myself. <laughs> I was just lucky that we were having this chat as a group only, like literally a I week think, ago. Uh, I don't actually know. I think I would be more of a artificer. I think I—I I like to—I mm. like to tinker with things. I see that. But I like to do editing, like software, computer, like videos, and all that sort of stuff. I also. You can't see because my background's blurred, but I have a whole shelf here full of like minis and things that I put together, like Warhammer and oh, Mad fantastic. Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Shatterpoint, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, like a tinkerer. Yeah, so tinkerer my, uh, my little, um, I'd probably be the artillerist one. 
that can create little yep. cannon thing, and the little cannon thing would be the like the minis and stuff. So I'll probably have like a space rain appear on my hand and it'll start shooting. Probably I don't know, something like that. Yeah. That'd be so cool. I reckon I reckon armor might work as well, where like your armor's all integrated with different little things that pop out when you need them and like your arm has a tool belt that you just sort of stretch out. The funny thing <laughs> about being a 3D printer The funny thing about back. me being an artificer though is that I think intelligence would be like what I'm at. I don't think that's true from the conversations we've had. I don't uh, think that's true at all. Well, it'd definitely be one of my lowest at least. I think mine would be wisdom, unfortunately. I think, I think wisdom, wisdom would, would be, be my, my highest. <laughs> I just... I'm like, I'm like book smart. I am not street smart at all. <laughs> I, make, I make decisions that sane people would question. I'm the opposite. I'm not very book smart, but I am very street smart and I'm very perceptive with things, so... Yeah, no, that's not me. That's not me at all. That's great though. That's it's good that we've got like in a party. It'd be a perfect party. We just need someone yep. with like a good strength, and we're we sorted. Do. We're a great D&D party. We're ready stuff. to go. Let's roll that dice to see if we can find them. Yes. Roll that dice. Oh, roll that dice. That's an eleven. Roll, roll that, that dice. Again. Nineteen. Ooh. 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 This is a juicy one. Ooh. Now, you Ooh. run three oh. different streams at the moment. Uh, and one of them is a continuation of a previous stream you've run. If you could go back and change an in-game decision, what would it be? That's a good one. Um, oh, man. I think... I think probably the decision I would change is... In Curse of Strahd, I had an opportunity to invite them to dinner with Strahd probably in about episode five or six. And I thought, because originally I wanted them to meet Strahd very early on. And in the moment, I kind of second guessed myself and thought, oh, it's a bit too soon. People who know the module well are probably not going to like this change. Because normally, like in the, in the module, Strahd invites them to dinner. Normally, once they've completed a couple of tasks around Barovia, and he, they draw his attention. Whereas I'd kind of been changing it so everyone who came through Strahd knew the second they'd entered his realm, and he wanted to meet each new group coming through. Because why wait? What's what's a week to him when he's lived for millennia? What's two weeks for him? But I second guess myself, and in the moment, I changed my mind and bailed on that idea. I regret doing that. I, uh, I, I wish I had stuck to my guns on that. I think it would have been more interesting. As it is, I still have not found a place as appropriate as it was then to bring them in to, to dinner with Strahd. So I do regret that because it would have been a really cool way to get Strahd on the table a uh, lot so earlier. a lot of alliterations so. of Curse of Strahd where people not so much like watch them, but more like read how other people have done it and all of that sort of stuff. And there was one that I'd read where they had Strahd appear in the very first session within like the first 15 minutes. Mm. So he, Perfect. He was a hunt there were some wolves that were tracking the party as they came through the mists and then a hunter came through. Yeah. Uh, he was actually in control of the wolves and then the hunter revealed himself to be Strahd sort of thing. And then... Yeah. So the party have met Strahd like five times, but not as Strahd, always as another character. And that's, I, I, I regret not taking advantage of that opportunity early when I originally planned that, to. Wish I had. They figured so, out at least one of them. And then uh as as a thing, they said, Oh, how many how many times have we seen Stroud? I said, Oh, why don't you guys guess a number and I'll I'll make a face. And one of them said, I think they said like four. And I was like, Ooh. <laughs> and now they've gone like, oh my God, who's Stroud? And so it's been great for uh for the player characters not knowing. So if any of your players Strahd. are watching, you now know it's five. You need to go back and have a look. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, none, yeah. You're not allowed to watch this bit, yeah. and we'll edit that earlier. <laughs> we'll flip it around. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> put that earlier. No, that's fine. They they can know. It's only one extra. And the, and my play characters, I have to say, for the most part, are really good at not metagaming. Um, they they mostly keep what they know as people away from what their character might know, which I'm very I'm very impressed with because it's hard sometimes. Hard. Especially when it comes to creature stats mm. and all that sort of thing, if you if you're um, a bit more knowledgeable of it. Oh, yeah. I I change stats. One of my um, one of the DMs <laughs> I play time. with uh, makes sure to change the stats because he knows that there's at least one other player at the table who 
we'll look things up in between sessions and look at the the best way to beat creatures. Oh, really? We'll actually look stuff I up. I don't. I don't understand why. Wow. Yeah, that's a. I mean, that kind of takes some of the fun out of D and D. From my from my perspective, some of the fun is is in in the best possible yeah. way. Fucking up, like. Part of the joy of D&D is when things don't go well. I mean, if you just won every time, yeah. a bit boring, really. It's much more fun to, to get things wrong and then have to like undo mistakes that you've made or try and fix something only to discover that you can't fix it. You've now got to work around it and uh, come up with creative solutions for your own mistakes. I love that. One That's one of my favorite parts of D&D. At one point where uh, we were looking to do some research into beholders because we needed to go hunt a beholder for an artifact and all that sort of stuff. And one of the players, not the one who goes and does mm. all the research, but one of the other players said, could I go to the library and pick up a monster guide or something? So the DM went, yes, you can. Perfect. And this was before we started using D&D Beyond. I think it was before D&D Beyond was that, because we've been playing this campaign for a while. So it was before D&D Beyond was as mm. good as what it is now. And the... Yeah, because people forget, but it's not it's not that long ago that D&D Beyond yeah. was a You just couldn't do anything on it, but... The DM literally went, right, you walk into the library, no. into this library, you get given a book. And that book is, and he pulled out Vol- Volvo's Guide to Monsters, and he gave it to the player, and oh, he said, you've fantastic. got this book until the next session, yep. and that's how long you get to read the book for, and then you have to give it back. So, and then that's, amazing. that's it. He said, you're not allowed to write anything down. You've got to me- memorise as much as you can. Yeah. And that information yeah. that that player read through he took it on instead of you know memorizing every single thing that every single creature could do instead he decided to flip through the entire book and look yeah. at all the creatures that are in the book all the ones that weren't like vampires or yeah. basic common creatures or all the more uncommon ones so when they pop up he's like oh yes i know about that and then he'll go do research again i've read about and this in a book or in depth research and it was really good that's so that's brilliant. That's such a good in-game way of actually giving information to the to the characters. And using Volos is great too, because Volo is an established character in yeah. the Forgotten Realms. And the book is kind of written from his perspective for the most part. I, that's brilliant. I'm a huge fan of that. So, I keep saying so every time I'm going to say let's roll a dice. What's well, better than yeah. um, um, uh, Roy? Uh, like, which I, I do think, all the time. Uh, maybe you should, uh, maybe, uh, <laughs> sorry. Very sorry to the podcast for doing that, but let's roll another dice. Roll that dice. That's roll that dice. Now, what do you like Ooh. in a DM? What do I like in a DM? Um, I think I think the the my favourite DMs have been ones who really encourage role play and balance. I think I think for me as a player, I really like balancing D and D combat and role play probably at like a 60-40 in favor of role play. Because uh, I, while I do enjoy the combat of D and D, I think mostly what I play it for is the role play aspects and the the social side of things. I love the combat, but I think for me, probably uh, such a bad answer. I think sixty percent uh, of the I like a session where it's about sort of like sixty percent split between role play and and um, and combat so i really love a dm who sort of does help push the role play i've played in a few games where it's almost been like playing uh, like a tabletop warhammer i love warhammer but i want to know going in that that's what i'm playing and not like sort of uh, psych myself up for for role play or things like that and i think some dms who just do the the dungeon crawl style dm i think like if, if um if i know that that's what it's going to be then i'm so into it but my favorite type of D&D is the one where it's it's role play and especially role play between the player characters as well. And I really love DMs that encourage that. Um, I think as well, the other thing I look for in a really good DM is that improvisational skill to roll with whatever the players are saying and immediately use that rather than the, uh, I, I think I think it's, it's those classic drama improv skills, the yes and style approach of D&D. I really love when DMs do that because it, it really brings the players into the narrative and when you use the players as the kind of focus of choice in the world like this uh, concept of where all characters in the world make choices and, and do actions but the dm's in control of 99.999 of them so the dm's going to make choices that suit their overall goal rather than what those characters goals might be for the most part whereas players can only make choices for their character or for their group 
for their party. But if you give the player choice a bit more weight than the DM choice, suddenly it's the players driving the narrative and it sort of brings them into the world and helps them feel that their actions have consequences and every action carries an equal weight of consequence. Even if that's not true, that starts to become the narrative in the mind. And then suddenly like you see players like really talking through with the party, oh, what do we want to do here? Or, or making decisions that they might not otherwise make or not or otherwise just like assume is going to be fine. You actually see them thinking through and working really hard as a team. I love that. That's so fun. And that was uh, that was a lesson taught to me by uh, by one of the Dungeon Masters who first taught me to play D&D. Um, uh, ben in Melbourne, thank you very much. Was uh, was absolutely fantastic. I like um, I like when the DM also integrate it integrates backstory into your characters. I yes, they ask you for a backstory, you give them a backstory, and then you find that that backstory actually starts taking place. Perfect example is in a game we were just having a conversation about some rebels who were fighting and one of the names that the DM dropped was one of the names from one of my character's backstories. And I, we were talking about it and I'd sent him in like a year beforehand and I just heard the name and I went, I recommend that name. And I looked at him and he was giving me the side eye like, yeah, oh, name. yeah, you've got that now. We're in the And I'm like, you <laughs> sneaky. That's, I love that. I I've, I try to do little character arcs within the campaigns for, for D&D and for Tune of Dragons that I run. So one of the things that we do is we deliberately don't, I, I get the players not to write a huge backstory, just a couple of key players in their lives previously, a couple of key events in their history. And then I actually try and explore those during the campaign where characters from their past come back and then during, and then, and, and then on the spot improvising we kind of role play and flesh out the backstory in the moment because then the backstory kind of automatically fits into the narrative because the players have already got the narrative in their minds they've been playing it for 12 sessions or so and it's it's a really cheeky drama way of helping immediately immerse backstories into the currents without having to actually do a huge amount of work on my part <laughs> it's a bit cheeky but it's one of the things i love to do and have like maybe four or five episodes that focus on one character in particular and then we move on to the next character and, and try and keep this idea that each um, player and character in the in the narrative has a little arc, like like how TV shows do. I like I to do I like to do the same as what you said, where that, that I do uh, mm. short term goals, long term goals, arrival yes. or two arrivals, general family, whether they're alive or dead or not, and then if I'm doing a more horror based game. Or which nine times out of ten I'm doing something that I'm planning to traumatize the players at some point. I'll ask for three fears. Oh, brilliant! And then I'll start. Oh, I like to do dream sequences when they take long rests and all of that. So um, me too. I'll incorporate that. Oh, I love yeah. dream sequences; they're the best fun. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, the fears thing is great fun. I did that for Curse of Strahd because I've created a sanity table based on Call of Cthulhu, and so they have a sanity stat that they're constantly checking against and um it's a, it's an eroding stat that is very hard to build up very easy to lose so it's been uh, it's been quite fun actually i think i have to revise the table though the uh, some of the short-term madnesses are just a wee bit more punishing than there's i a, intended initially there's the a system so uh free league publishing have just released uh lord of the rings for like a 5e supplement mm. they have it's yeah, very I saw played, that. It looks awesome. Over, uh, where I played in a four-part with Guild Superior, who are also members of the stream team. Uh, and they have, it's yeah. obviously low magic system, because all of the rings, but they have a system in it called yeah, Shadow. Yeah, very low magic. And it goes, the shadow, oh, so your total nice. shadow is based off of what your total wisdom is. And every time you see something, so similar to Call of Cthulhu, if you see something that's... Um, discombobulating or horrifying yeah horrifying, something like that wrong, then you need to roll a check yeah. uh, normally uh, from what we did in the game it's normally either a wisdom or christmas saving throw and you gain shadow points if you get to half of what your wisdom score is you basically get the equivalent of a uh what is it one exhaustion point so you get like negatives of disadvantages on ability checks and all that sort of stuff and you're called miserable when you get yeah, to 12 yeah. you are that's when things start to go really wrong and if you go above 12 you had to catch that sheet over and, and that's it yeah do you know what though? that 
that sounds exactly like how Tolkien, if he was alive, would have intended it, right? Because the Lord of the Rings is is meant to be a damning takedown of war and the the dangers of of war and over industry and like this idea that ordinary people who are who are pushed into war are always damaged by it and and it's it's permanently scars everyone as part of it. I, I think he'd approve hundred percent. That sounds the amazing. Only way to recover shadow points. The the main way is you have a like a home base sort of thing, which is whenever you rest at the home base you always recover shadow. You can't recover shadow just when you take a long rest out on the road. If anything, you could potentially gain more shadow points when you're yeah. out on the road if you have like a bad night's sleep or something. But there are like other yeah. good things you could do, like eating a good meal while on the road or something might recover a shadow point or something. But it's very, very sparse on the recovery. So I like that element. I've always liked the idea of having when you're playing an RPG, you have like a cent- central location and then you work from there. The, the ones, the, the sort of games you get where you travel around the world are fun, and I do like, I do like, like seeing the worlds that people have created. But there's just there's just something about having that one focal point, whether it be a town, a ship, a city, 100%. or something like that, and then you get all of those NPCs that are within that area, and they get fleshed out as well. And then, but in, and then in Lord of the Rings, yeah. because it was Bree in Lord of the Rings that we had as our home base. So when we stayed there, ah, uh, yep, that makes sense. Covered some shadow points, but yeah, that's a very good system. I, I love that. I'm I'm also a huge fan of the the home base idea. Uh, for us, it's a guild hall, and they have an airship that is linked via teleportation circle. So the they had, they don't have access to it yet in the new campaign, but for Tyranny of Dragons, they used it all the time. So their airship, they had a helmsman for the airship that would be flying around, and then in between travel, rather than being on the airship while traveling, they'd often use the teleportation circle to go back to the city, back to their guild hall in the city and explore and rest and recover there while the poor old helmsman have to, to finish Can the journey with the crew. No. <laughs> no. Right, let's roll another no. dice. Roll, roll another, another dice. dice. And another one. Oh. Now, I've already said one of the moments from your stream, but for you, what is the funniest moment you've experienced in-game? Ooh, the funniest. I think I'm gonna have to give it. I'm gonna have to give it to a moment from Avatar, uh, Avatar Legends. There was a scene where the group were in the Siwong Oasis, this um, oasis in the middle of the desert um, that you might remember from Avatar: The Last Airbender. That had a massive, um, almost like a massive like glacier in the center of town that was slowly evaporating in the heat. And the townsfolk lived like they got their water from this, the ice from this. Long story short, the players got into a little bit of trouble with um, the guards that were there, along with some Fire Nation soldiers that were traveling through the area and had to escape the town. Um, And they decided to try and get out along with uh, some NPCs that they'd been collecting. And so one of the players shoved another player into a wheelbarrow because they weren't running fast enough and tried to run with them. and then airbend underneath that to get a bit of lift. What they succeeded in doing was crashing through the market stalls and out through the front gates, which gave me the perfect opportunity to throw the cabbage merchant. Uh, I was going to say, what, in that scenario, is is it a, I think a great grandfather? Yeah, his great grandfather. Yeah, and it just just the idea where they, because like in the moment, I think um, they, they jumped in the wheelbarrow and they're running it, and one of the players he stops running. He goes, "How many wheels does it have?" I'm like, "Well, it's a wheelbarrow, not a wheels barrow." So just the singular wheel. <laughs> oh man, it was very funny. Right. Just the chaos that they come up with. Like, oh, what, what if I airbend and airbend, airbend, if I airbend underneath the wheelbarrow, it'll lighten it and make us go faster. I was like, so you just want a, what, like a big blast of air? It's like, yeah, yeah, just, just a blast of air underneath. It's like, okay, well then as you do that, <laughs> this massive blast of air, you flip end, end, end over end and crash into the market store. So like, oh, quick. Oh, what if we stole the top of the market stall and used it as like a parachute or a sail? Okay, yeah, brilliant. I'm gonna roll Let's go. I think the thing I love most about the avatar is that there's no thought apart from the first thought that they act upon. Like, there's there's never any like, and I love this so much. Please never change if you're listening to this, players. They they there's no second or third like, oh, but that might happen, or oh, there might be a consequence. No, no, no. It's let, I'm going to do this, and it's just chaos, and it's wonderful. 
and it matches the tone of the show sometimes too perfectly. I love it. I love it. And I rolled another dice and I got a seven. Is there a moment in a TTRPG that impacted your life out of getting? Hmm. That's a really good question. I think, I think, yeah, the one that sort of comes to mind is, um, <laughs> this is this is funny because like one of the memes that I've seen about Dungeon Masters is that you're either a group therapist uh, or you're the trauma that the group then have to experience later on. And when when you were saying before about how you love to traumatize your players, in my mind I was like, yeah, it's so true that meme. It's uh, it's so appropriate the idea that as a Dungeon Master it's either group therapy or group trauma. Um, yeah, I think I think an early one for me because I, unfortunately I don't get to be a player very often. Um, the curse of the forever DM has, has well and truly sunk in now. Um, but one of the earliest times, I think probably like, I think it's the second game I ever played D and D. Um, we were, we were heading through this, uh, I think it was, uh, the elemental evil module and, and we come in, uh, Claire and I had come in at like level 10 and this is our second game ever playing D and D. The first game we'd come in, they, they'd captured us and the, the rest of the group freed us. And that's how our characters were introduced to the party. Um, and so the second second ever, I was playing a, a level ten moon druid, which is wow, so good. And um, I I think I'd like mucked up one of my spells and hadn't realised how they worked, and it had caused a lot of problems. And me as the player was feeling quite embarrassed because like this is a group of well established players who've been playing for years. I've come in after watching a bit of high rollers, a bit of critical role, trying to trying to give it a go, but not really knowing hundred percent what I'm doing. And um, there was a point where my character and myself were the same person at that point, kind of apologizing for fucking up. And it was, it was in character, but it wasn't hundred percent in character. It was also me trying to like, be like, I'm sorry guys. And one of the, uh, one of the players who was playing this very gruff dwarf cleric who was, um, yeah, like quite brusque, a little bit unfriendly, bit standoffish came over. I was playing an elf at the time. He's like, kneel down boy. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I kneel down. He's like, you did your best. And that's all that we could ask for. And that moment, like, made my character feel better and made me feel better. And then, like, from then on, this character kind of took me under his wing and the player did as well. And it was, it was sort of the intersection of, of fantasy and reality coming together. And, um, yeah, it was just really encouraging. Uh, we'd, like, step in and offer advice in the moment, be like, that spells fire, right? Like, yeah, he's like, not going to work. Try this. <laughs> it was, and it was just really lovely. And as a, as a new player to D&D, doing it in character and also doing it as part of the replay, but then still having the player kind of help out as well was so encouraging. And that moment where he like, kneel down, boy, come here, you did your best. That was what I needed to hear in the moment. And it was really lovely. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> Again. Yeah, it's just, that's nothing else really to, to say to that. It is, there's lots of moments that people can have in in any of the TTRPGs, but when you have that that one moment where it sort of leaks over from roleplay into real world, that's that's where connections, especially when it's when you come to a group of people that you don't yeah. didn't know to start off with, and then you become like firm friends after yeah. that. Yeah, because we we hadn't we'd actually only interacted as characters because when we'd arrived at the game shop we said like oh hey i'm owen blah 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 like introducing ourselves and then we'd started the session and so i and, and um claire and i had found this walking past the game shop that had a sign up saying like oh dnd here and she'd always wanted to try it and i was like oh i don't know if i feel like confident enough she's like no no no, you gotta come 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 and um i wasn't feeling very confident that day which is probably for those who watch the streamer going like owen not confident what are you talking about there was a time <laughs> once upon a time where i wasn't very confident with dnd and um yeah, and that was what I needed to hear in that moment, and it was so lovely and uh, so appreciative. And so, yeah, to, to all players out there, if you ever have new people at your table, if you can encourage the new players in character as well as out of character, I reckon you'll see uh, huge results, <laughs> huge, huge results. So, do you happen to have a D20 to hand? I do have would a Would you like to roll for the last question? Then? I would love to roll for the last question. Let's do it. 14. That is a 14. 14. Have we had a 14? Yes, I don't think we've had 14. This, this, this is going to be the point where oh, we have to okay, 18. You haven't had 18. Uh, 18. Oh, okay. I haven't had 18. I'm actually really interested. Okay. This is actually a very good question. 
and I am actually really, I really want to hear the answer for this. Who is, who's the best villain you've ever faced in a game? Obviously, as you're more of a forever DM, who is the best villain you've ever given to the players? That's such a good question. Um, I think my favorite villain is actually not one that I've created. And it's not one that um, it's one that another uh, another DM created while I was playing in uh, in a campaign. Uh, it was a it was a one shot that I was part of, um, and the villain uh, the the villain of the campaign was this incredibly reasonable, incredibly like and, and, like to, to give a bit of backstory. So it was set in a Eberron style campaign, um, and it was very um, heavy into like the idea of the Warforged kind of fighting for their rights, fighting to be no longer seen as tools, but as, as actual like living beings. And so we were solving a murder mystery in the backdrop of that occurring. And when we finally discovered the murderer, um, all signs had been pointing very clearly towards uh, this group of elves who were against the, the Warforged gaining rights. And it turns out it had actually been a Warforged and they hadn't intended to kill the person. They hadn't understood how like living, breathing beings kind of function. And so they tried to repair them seeing that they were injured. And it was just, it was so clever because the act was horrifying and the consequences were terrible. But at the same time, like you could really see how that had happened. And I just loved how real the villain felt because they weren't a villain per se, but the effects of what they'd done and, and what they'd actually done was horrifying. But it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was really good. It was really fun. And I, I just really enjoyed that. It felt so satisfying and so real that this, this very complicated campaign involving a lot of nuance and, and ethical dilemmas and conundrums kind of ended with the biggest one, which was, well, what do we do? If we turn this Warforged in, they're going to be destroyed and melted down. They're not going to be in prison. They're going to be destroyed for this. Um, and it really conflicted the group. And we actually had a split, a full split down the middle of the party with one side who were like, yeah, we have to destroy this thing. It's malfunctioning. And the other side who were like, no, 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 like we need to do, we need to be different. We need to fix this. It was, it was really fun. And I just loved that such a, because it, it wasn't a big bad. It wasn't this all powerful lich or this vampire lord. It was just a warforged worker, but their actions had caused so much strife throughout the city. And I, I really loved that. I just loved how this ordinary person had become so much larger because of a single action in the moment that they didn't even understand so what that they were did doing. happen in the end? If, you, if the party that was fully was... split, what ended up happening to the Warforged? Uh, the group who decided to destroy it, we were trying, the, the group that had split, I was on the side of wanting to try and like find a, a more peaceful solution and try and see if we could figure out like what had happened and, and how the Warforged had, had become this way and whether other Warforged were affected. Whereas the rest, like some of the party were like, no, we just need to destroy this. It ended up breaking into PC combat actually. <laughs> and it was, it was like all in good, like all good fun. Like all of us were friends and we knew what we were doing. So it wasn't like a, a situation where it was a bit awkward or tense. It was, it was actually all in good fun. And um, the, one of the, one of the other player characters, a sorcerer ended up doing heat metal on the Warforged and um, ended up killing it. Well, yeah, it was, it was, it, yeah, and it was, but that's what I mean, right? Because all of us were so invested in the story as the as the characters, and so, like, and 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 their, it was very true to what the character had been doing the whole playthrough. Um, so it was, it was, it was, it was satisfying, but like at the same time, like satisfying for the for the story ending, and like the consequence being that because that Warforged was then killed, the Warforged riots turned violent and suddenly all the Warforged were like moving onto the streets. And, and so it became this whole like massive consequence for the city. And I believe that DM still uses that world and, and runs one shots in it quite frequently with that having been one of the historical moments that changed the, the city forever. Um, so it's still very satisfying, but yeah, very, very sad as well. This idea that, well, kind of no one really wins. It's all really tragic it was just tragic from start to end and that felt very poetic and i really enjoyed that actually <laughs> right well on that i think we have come towards the end of our time and been close to the 60 minute mark i believe if not we've gone over it the kerbalds in the chat will tell us if we've gone over or not we definitely won't be getting we're at oh, 55 minutes exactly 
Awesome. We'll, we'll, we'll end it there then. I'd like to thank everybody who is here for joining us for Talk Together. And you can find us on Fridays at 6pm EST, currently while we're still in the British summertime, for Talk Together or our other show, Talking is a Free Action, which is where we take some of the players from the Roll Together universe, we pluck them out of the little campaigns that they're doing at the moment, and we throw them into a question maze where our question masters put them through quests, questions and challenges to see how they tick. And all of that is uh, quite fun. My one is called The Playmaker, who's not too far removed from myself. But hey. And you can also find us on Mondays and Tuesdays for D&D at 6pm BST as well. Uh, Mondays we are doing newer shows. So at the moment that would be Fracture, which is our long-running campaign. And I believe we have a new campaign with some familiar faces, not pointing at anybody appearing at some point, probably the week after Fracture, I'm um, 100% sure at the moment. And then Tuesdays we have delved, the Kobolds have delved into the Roll Together archives to pick out some of the some of the juiciest campaigns that we've done and we are rerunning them. And some of them are from lockdown time. Oh, so if so you cool. want to see some of the players with their lockdown hair, come see us on Tuesdays. You can find all of our stuff at twitch.tv forward slash roll together RPG, which is where we are right now. The VODs are available immediately after the stream to catch up, or you can find all of the content on YouTube a few days later, as well as on any podcast app. Uh, many thanks to our D20 Club. I always do this for the D20 Club, because, you know, we love doing the hearts. I, I never like doing it like that. I always like having like the, the bit above. I don't know why, but just just, just don't. It's, it's got to be held within the yeah. uh, Eye of uh, Truth, the Illuminati Eye of Truth, right? You've got to have the... <laughs> Um, if you'd like to join Patreon, as I said before, you can by searching Roll Together RPG on Patreon, and you can do so for as little as one of your local currency. And again, a massive thank you to all of our sponsors and supporters. Remember, joining the D20 Club means that you are more likely to roll a natural it's, 20 in your campaign. This is no. So join. You give, you, you <laughs> give that luck to us, and we give that luck back to you. Now, Owen. Yes, it blesses your dice. Would you like to tell us, again, where you're from, where people can find you, what social medias you on? All of the links will be in the chat anyway, but tell us. I think, yeah. Yeah, so I, I Lost Archives, twitch.tv slash The Lost Archives. Um, on YouTube, uh, you can just put in at The Lost Archives D&D or just type in The Lost Archives. If you see a Celtic network, you've arrived at the right spot. Um, on podcast, it's just the Lost Archives. If you type it into iTunes, Google Play, it'll it'll pop up normally as the as the first result. Fingers crossed. Um, on Twitter, we're reasonably active, which is just um, I think it's just the Lost Archives on, on Twitter as well. Oh no, it's at Archives Lost. Almost got me there. Um, and apart from that, I think we've got a Facebook page, but it's not super active. We we don't use the Facebook very much. You can you can join us in the Discord. The link is um, I think you can access the link just through. The YouTube page, there's a Discord link. Um, the Discord's really fun. We've got a few people uh, in there who we, we chat about Avatar Legends, a few people running campaigns and asking some questions because it's a fairly new system. So we're kind of all learning it together at the same time. Um, and we also have a really cool fan art channel in the uh, the Lost Archives Discord where some incredibly talented artists have been uh, putting up some really cool work. So if you want to come see some really cool fan art, um, I'll be I'll be sharing those on the stream as well anyway, but there's some, some cool fan art there. Um, no, thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been awesome and really fun to hang out. I love this. And talking as a free action sounds really fun as well. That sounds, definitely, uh, definitely sounds like loads of fun. Chaotic goodness is what it is. <laughs> I'd also like to point out Favourite. as well that Owen is very good <laughs> at doing art as well. So go to the Discord, check out check out the stream as well, because all of Owen's art is on the stream as well. It's um I do. Um, I, I need to get better at posting the art up on ArtStation. I was doing it very consistently for a while, but I've, I've, there's like a limit to uploads you can do per day, and so then I forget and don't do it. But I will. I will try and put all the character art up. But thank, thank you for saying. I've, I'm pretty self-taught with art, so it's been a, it's been a bit of a journey coming from like doing anatomical drawings for uni to like doing full character art. It's been loads of fun, and I'm I'm loving it. It's so good. I love right. Good so I've already said thank you to you for coming on. You're an amazing person. It's been brilliant having you here. You're an amazing person. But I, 
the only the only thing Thanks left so to say is the thing that we always say on Fridays at Roll Together, which is always stay classy at the table. Bye everyone. Always stay classy. Always stay classy at the table. Always. Stay classy at the table. always. always. <laughs> See you later, guys. Thank <laughs> you.